All right, good morning, Restoration. <laughs> Invite you all to find your seats. I'm glad you all were able to connect and catch up from the holidays to share the peace of Christ. My name is Zach Carrera. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful to be up here to be able to bring God's word to you uh, this New Year's Eve before we head into 2024 tomorrow. Uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and invite Sophia Liu up, one of our former youth, to read the passage today. Now, if you have a bulletin, have no fear. We're not reading all of Psalm 119. In fact, it's Psalm 19, and uh, I was responsible for putting the scripture in here since I'm preaching today, so this was my fault that I put 119 instead of 19. Um, but we're going to go ahead and read Psalm 19. We just finished our series on Isaiah and Advent last week. We're starting Fruit of the Spirit next week, so we're just having a one-off sermon uh, this New Year's Eve uh, looking at Psalm 19 today. Uh, so Sophia, go ahead. Psalm Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, uh, as I find myself often praying uh, when I come up here, I give you thanks that you do not leave us to guess who you are, to guess uh, of your goodness and your character, uh, but you reveal yourself to us uh, through your creation, through your word. I pray that you would do that even now this morning as we dive into your word, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our eyes uh, to your truth, your goodness, uh, and may we respond uh, to this exhortation and encouragement from you. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So I am the type of person that really enjoys this week between Christmas and New Year's because I really enjoy actually taking time to reflect on my past year and to set goals for 2024. Now, some of you all are probably thinking like, oh, yeah, that's me. I get that. Uh, some of you all are like, what are you talking about? I've never done that in my life. Uh, but what I love about it, what I love about spending time to think back and reflect and to, to set goals for the upcoming year is that it forces me uh, to be intentional with my time. And I grapple with this question basically of, you know, how should I live this year? Now, what I often do and what I think many of you all do if you do this is I think about goals that will make my life more fun, uh, more secure, more peaceful. Uh, I try to be more driven. And I think under that, the deeper question that I'm ultimately grappling with is what do I think will bring me comfort in this life? Now, research shows across the board uh, the two goals, the most common goals of any new year are finances and fitness, right? Your overall health. Of course, I have, I have goals like that, but why? And I think that goes, gets at this idea again of comfort and peace that we are often longing and searching for, right? We think that if we are uh, physically fit or healthy, if we're financially secure, then I can protect myself from the problems of the world that might arise. And of course, there's some value in that, right? Like car repairs, medical bills, uh, but we can't protect ourselves from everything. And then also, if we have, if we're physically fit and we have good finances, then we also think that we can actually go and pursue pleasures of the world, right? We can take tropical, tropical vacations. Maybe you can go to Olive and Oak and have dinner. That place is really good, right? Now, but those things, right, whether it's protecting yourself from the problems, whether it's pursuing the pleasures of this world, they're ultimately not going to give us the peace and comfort we need. 
And so there's lots of voices, whether it's advertisements, social media, maybe your own family's values, maybe just your own uh, self-focused or sinful desires that are telling you that if I chase these things in the world, again, whether it's finances, pleasures, fitness, friendships, relationships, whatever it is, that it'll bring us comfort. And yet it doesn't. And so what I think today we're going to, what I hope to see is that David shows us in this psalm that there's actually a better voice that we can listen to, that there's something better than the finances or the pleasures that we seek after, that we're chasing after, a voice that's more true, more sure, more trustworthy, a voice that truly matters and that can actually bring us the comfort in life that we're often chasing after. So we're going to break this psalm up into two sections. We're going to do verses 1 to 9, the skies and the scriptures. I got that from a commentator. That wasn't me. But then uh, verses 10 to 14, which is the reward and the response. And we're going to go really quickly through the first part because I just want that as context to set us up for some of the profound uh, conclusions that we see David drawing when he meditates on the skies and the scriptures. So look at verses 1 to 9. Right, The first part one through six is all about creation. He talks about the skies, the heavens, the sun. It's specifically things like he's standing, he's looking up, and he's noticing how amazing the world is, how creation, how awe-inspiring it is. And then in verses seven through nine, it moves on to the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the basically the scriptures, the word of God. And it's interesting to note how much speech comes into play in this psalm. Right? It says that the heavens declare, the sky proclaims, the day pours out speech, voice goes out, the words to the end of the world. Right? So creation is, is proclaiming and speaking of God's glory, God's wisdom in his handiworks, God's orderliness in the fact of the rhythm of night and day, the way the sun comes up each new day and runs its course. And it speaks of, again, this God that is out there. In other words, David recognizes when he looks at the sky, the stars, the heavens, the sun, that there is something more to life than just what he sees in front of him. Now, if we were just left there, uh, it would be pretty hopeless, right? Because we couldn't know anything more about God. But thankfully, God doesn't just leave us to know that he exists, but he actually, David continues and points out that God speaks to us even more clearly, not just through creation, but through his very word to us, right? We see that there's a creator, but there's a covenant-keeping, close Lord who speaks to us. He even uses the term in verses 7 through 9. You see that it says Lord in all capital letters. That's the Hebrew word for Yahweh. That's God's personal name. So in verses 1 to 6, David only uses the word God once when he's talking about creation. But when he's speaking about the scriptures, he uses God's personal name, Yahweh. And he uses it six times in this comprehensive list of phrases. And they're not necessarily meant to be studied individually. Commentators say they're actually just painting us a really comprehensive picture of the character of God and the goodness of God. So David says, what is, he says, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. And what are they? They're perfect, sure, right pure, clean, true. And then what do they do for us? It revives the soul so we're not perishing. It makes us wise so that we're not foolish. It rejoices the heart so that we're not downcast and hopeless. It enlightens the eyes so that we can see rightly and know where to go. It endures forever so we're not tossed to and fro 
by just the ever-changing fads. It's righteous altogether, so it's trustworthy. So just as the sun brings warmth and light to all of creation, we see that the scriptures bring warmth and light to our soul, our mind, our heart, our eyes. And so while there might be many voices out there, right, that are competing or are getting to us, there's a voice that we should listen to, right? This voice of scripture, this voice of Yahweh. So David has taken time to ponder, to reflect, hear the voice of creation, which speaks of a wise, orderly, powerful God. But he hears an even clearer voice in the scriptures that is firm, sure, guides his life. Now, certainly a lot more could be said about these verses, but I just wanted to quickly go through those so that we can actually sit in verses 10 to 14 and some of the profound conclusions that David gets at after he's looked at the skies and the scriptures. So we're going to go ahead and already jump to verses 10 through 14 now, and we're going to look at the second point, which is the reward and the response. So what is David's conclusion about God's word? In verses 10 to 11, it says that God's word is more to be desired than gold, it's sweeter than honey, and that in keeping them, there is great reward. See, this was the verse that actually really got me to want to preach on this, uh, this New Year's Eve, when I was doing my own reflections and thinking about 2023 and thinking ahead about 2024. This psalm tells me that God's word is actually greater than any financial pursuit that I might be chasing after that God's word is actually sweeter than any pleasure I might pursue. I might think that finances will protect me from the journeys of life and that I will be rewarded, uh, that I'll be able to protect myself, that now, you know, honey is not like my number one choice for comfort. I personally like Andy's ice cream snow monster, if anyone's had that. Uh, But God's God's word is actually more rewarding than any of those things. One commentator said it this way. He said, wealth can heal no wounded spirit. It can cheer no sinking soul, give no hope to any despondent mind, defend against none of the worst ills of life, point no weary traveler to a way of rest, can give no assurance of happiness beyond the grave. But God's word can do all these things and a thousand times more. That was a 19th century Presbyterian theologian named William Plumer. But uh, something that's a little bit more contemporary for you all, a song that came out for a few years, a few years ago, said it this way. It said, bottles and bottles and bottles and models and models and models and dollars and dollars, but that don't help me when my soul want to holla. I'm feeling the pain and I'm dealing with drama. <laughs> Lecrae, I mean, some of you all probably got that. That was Lecrae, Get Back Right, a song that I like for those very verses. This is the truth of that, right? So think back to the question that I opened with. What is my comfort in this life. It can't be bottles, models, or dollars, right? Real peace, real comfort is not found in the things that most of us are chasing after. You will never reach a finish line of life if you think that you will get peace or comfort once you hit a financial goal, once you hit a fitness goal, once you hit a family goal, once you hit a friendship goal. True peace and comfort can only come from the word of God. And by hearing God's word, you can actually enjoy those good gifts that the giver gives you. So one question for you is, do you think your life models this, right? If you were to look at your schedules, your goals, your pursuits, the things you meditate on, does it align with what we're hearing in Psalm 19 this morning? 
As Janine Lynn mentioned, we start a new Bible reading plan next, or tomorrow, not next week, I guess tomorrow. And I think we were, yeah, we did a Bible reading plan in two years, and now we're doing it in one year. So you might be thinking like, what? How am I going to do this in one year? It was hard enough to do it in two. But I want to offer you this encouragement. I just learned this recently, which was convicting for my own self, but also encouraging, that if you were to just turn the audio Bible on for 15 minutes, let's just say you weren't even using a plan. If you just said, I'm going to listen 15 minutes a day, you would actually get through the entire Bible in one year. An audio Bible is 90 hours. If you take 90 hours divided by 365 days, that's 15 minutes a day. And while that can be convicting for me because I'm like, wow, I don't read the Bible in a year usually, the fact that I'm reminded I can actually hear God's word, the most important thing, the thing that revives my soul, enlightens my eyes, makes me wise. If I actually spend 15 minutes in that a day, I can get through the entire Bible. And this time next year, I would have heard every word of Yahweh's voice to me. And I really encourage you all to, to think about joining us in that as we start that tomorrow. Now, we also have to be aware that David doesn't only point uh, per God's perfect law to say it's rewarding and sweeter than honey, better than gold, but he's actually honest, and he says that God's law actually also warns him. So what does it warn him of? I'd argue it warns him of perishing, and it warns him of death. How do we know this? Well, David's the king of Israel, right? He uh, is just saying about God's law and God's testimony, so he's referring to the scriptures. And many times in the scriptures, God talks about how if you reject his voice, you, there is consequences to that, whether that's present curses or whether there's eternal consequences. I just took one verse here, Deuteronomy 8, and I think David would have known this verse because he reads the scrolls, he reads the scriptures, he's the king of Israel. This is from Deuteronomy 8. It says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God and do not keep his commandments. You shall remember the Lord your God, for he is, it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods, serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will perish. Like the nations that the Lord has perished before you, so shall you perish because you do not obey the voice of the Lord. Right? It's just like Genesis 3. By rejecting God's voice, he says, you will surely die. Now, I think David knew this God's law, this blessing that was promised, but he also knew the warnings in God's law, what it means to reject God's voice. And so that is what leads to David's response in verses 12 to 14. See, after reflecting on the wonders of the skies, of the perfection of scriptures, how does he respond? He prays. But what does he pray? First, he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden sins. Keep back your servant from uh, conspicu or conspicuous sins, like these blatant, prideful sins. So when he reads God's law, David knows he has not kept the Lord's commandments. And he therefore knows that he deserves to perish. He knows that it doesn't matter how big his kingdom is. It doesn't matter how much gold he has in his palace. It doesn't matter what sweet foods he gets as the king of Israel, that none of that matters in comparison to his relationship with Yahweh. Now, and that's therefore why he prays that he would be declared innocent so that he could be with Yahweh. Now, it might seem strange that David jumped straight to confession and repentance, but I think it makes a lot of sense because the reality is that the warning of perishing, the warning of death 
helps us put things into perspective and to be better able to answer the question, how should I live? I've been reading the book uh, Prayer in the Night by Tish Warren Harrison, and she said this about death. Death reveals the futility of what we most chase after in life. We can't live well if we deny the truth of where we're headed. This reality must change the way we live. We live knowing that our wealth, our strength, our accomplishments are as fleeting as breath. But by reminding ourselves day by day that we will die, it allows us to know that the day to seek God, the day to repair a relationship, that the day to help others, the day to bless the world around us is actually today because it might be our last. And this is, I think, what happened to David. In light of God's word, which enlightens his eyes, which enables him to see rightly, to see who he truly is and the pursuits that he might chase after, he realizes that they're not secure. And he realizes his standing before God is the most important thing. And so what does he do? He repents. He confesses. He asks for forgiveness from Yahweh. See, David heard Yahweh's voice and listened. And therefore, he was wise, and he did the most important thing, which was he cast himself on his rock and redeemer. All right, it reminds me, of course, of Jesus' words in Matthew 7 that says, whoever hears these words and does them, he's referring to the Sermon on the Mount, will be a wise man who builds his house on a rock, right? The rain fell, the winds came, the floods, the floods came, the winds blew, but the house doesn't fall because it's built on the rock. See, whatever fears or problems in life that might arise, there's this rock that can be your refuge. And what's even more amazing, I think, is that this uh, Kidner, uh, Derek Kidner, a commentator, points out that if you look at these last three verses, God is addressed not as the sinner's accuser, not as the sinner's judge, but he's actually addressed as his refuge and his champion. See, we think that once we acknowledge that we're sinners, that that's like the worst part, that God's going to turn us away. But David shows here that by acknowledging the fact that we fall short of God's glory, we actually cast ourselves on him, and he is actually our Savior who redeems us. He does not cast us away. David didn't pray to try harder. David didn't pray to do better in his Bible reading plan, right? He actually just asked for forgiveness from Yahweh who he knows is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So David could see that his only comfort in life is knowing his creator and redeemer. And of course, that question, therefore, is for you as well. As you think about, again, your upcoming year, what you might be chasing after, if you think about what you meditate on, what does your Google calendar look like? Where do you spend your money? What are your aspirations? What do you think will bring you comfort? Would you say that it aligns with the words that we're hearing right now in Psalm 19. Here are these, these New Testament verses that get at the same idea. God knows that you need food and drink and clothing, right? He knows you need those provisions, the financial aspect. But what does Jesus say? Seek first God's kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all of that will be added to you. Our First Timothy 4, I love what Paul says to Timothy. He says, train yourselves in godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, yeah, you should exercise, you should take care of your body. It's a temple of the spirit. But godliness is of value in every way because it holds a promise for the present life and for the life to come. See, actually, we're fortunate to be living now because we live in a, an even clearer picture than what David was singing about. He had the skies in the Old Testament, 
but we actually live in a time after Christ. We have the New Testament, and therefore, we can actually hear Christ's words to us, who was the perfect fulfillment of God's personhood and character that we read about in the Old Testament. So in Matthew 17, God the Father says about Christ, listen to my son's words, right? And these are the words that we have from Jesus for us. Jesus says to you, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I call the sheep by name. They hear my voice, and I will lead them out. Jesus says to you, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus says to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus says to you, I have said these things so that you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but that you'd have eternal life. These are Christ's words to you, and I pray that in hearing them, our response would be the same as David, right? Whether you're a Christian or you're other, you're other than Christian, that you would hear these words, you would listen to them and do them and respond as David did, which is to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to recognize who you truly are, but to know that in doing that, you have a rock and redeemer who promises life who promises eternity, who promises comfort and peace and real joy. I started this sermon with the question, what do I think brings me comfort in life, right? That's what most of our goals orient around. And I want to end with this uh, question number one from the Heidelberg Catechism. Many of you all might know it if you've grown up in the church, but I love this question because it gets exactly at what we're talking about here. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism said this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? This is the answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. And in fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. May that be how we answer this question both as we go out today and the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, thank you for your word. Not only do you um, communicate to us through creation of your presence, but God, we have your word here that can show us who we truly are, that can enlighten our eyes, make us wise, that we can come to you as our rock and our refuge, knowing that you are faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins. God, thank you for who you are. We pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.